Let us turn again to the part of God's word that we read, the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, chapter 6, and we may look again at verse 12, Hebrews chapter 6 at verse 12, reading just now from verse 11, we do desire, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise, the promises. You be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Paul's immediate purpose in this epistle is to uh, strengthen the Hebrew Christians in the face of opposition from the unbelieving Jews and to um, make plain to them contrary to whatever the Jews may be saying to them, that they have infinitely greater privileges than the Jews who are still cleaving to the Old Testament because they have in Christ the fulfillment of the Old Testament, which those that don't go beyond the Old Testament do not have. And the Old Testament priesthood has now been rendered uh, redundant by the sacrifice and the priesthood of Christ. So that is his his immediate purpose, but also to strengthen and to stir these people. And we see a warning about those that fall away. If 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 they've tasted of the good things and they fall away, then he says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance it's a difficult part of the word of God. Some understand these things referring to the spiritual gifts, the uh, miraculous gifts, we should say. They've tasted of the heavenly gift in that sense. Those that have wrought miracles, so to say, in the name of uh, God and then apostatize, and they such are not in a position where they can be awakened again to uh, repentance but before, before men come to that state, there is a, a, a period of backsliding and lukewarmness. And that's the, the danger. He's, he's not addressing people in a, a apostate condition, but those who may be in a backsliding condition. Verse 9, Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak the way to Uh, to keep people from backsliding is to warn them of the dangerous consequences it may have. Uh, He compares, there's a comparison being made between the two uh, sorts of land or earth. There's that in verse 8, which beareth thorns and briars. When when trouble is taken with it, and if it does nothing but brings forth thorns and briars, then it is rejected and will be put to the fire in due course, nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. And on the other hand, that which is making good use of the rain, the earth which drinketh in the rain, which cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. Well, this is a figure. It's looking at our souls. Whether, we, whether God is taking trouble with us and yet we are bringing forth 
thorns and briars, in which case we're in danger of being burned, or whether we are bringing forth herbs and things that are useful in the, for the, in the service of God and such receive blessing from God. And so he says that it has been the case that the Hebrew Christians have been fruitful in these matters. Verse 10, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. They've uh, supported, they've not been ashamed of the saints of God. They've not forgotten them. They've helped them. They've borne witness to the Christianity by helping those, just as uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus uh, appeared on the side of truth at the end, so these people had been doing so. And Paul's desire is that they would continue. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherited the promise, the promises. To remember that they are in a not the first people upon this journey, not the first generation of believers in this world, for already those that have gone before, and particularly they're the Old Testament saints, and there is Christ himself. Christ himself has now inherited the promises for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And therefore the people of God are to be looking to him so they are to be followers. And the two things that are particularly set before them here are Abraham in verse 13 and God's promise to Abraham. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by a greater, he swore by himself. And uh, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So they're to be followers of Abraham, but then he goes on and speaks more about the God's oath and the immutability of the oath and how this uh, uh, gives the Christian a strong consolation, the Christian who has fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before him. And so the other consideration that is brought before us here is that hope that God has set before Christians, and which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. He uh, traces this hope within the veil, which entereth into that within the veil, and it turns out that the hope is Christ himself, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there's not only the example of Abraham who inherited the promises, but there is the example of Christ himself, the, the forerunner, the one who has gone before with the implication being that they are going to, they are coming afterwards. And he is said, or the hope that they have in him is said to be an anchor of the soul that which keeps them steady in all the troubles of uh, life. What we want to think about then is Christians are to be followers of Abraham and of Christ. They're to stir themselves up 
by remembering Abraham and Christ, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Christians are to be followers of Abraham and of Christ. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we want to think about three things. And the first is that Christians are in danger of slothfulness, that ye be not slothful. There is a danger there, a danger of backsliding under pressure from various quarters. Christians are in danger of slothfulness. But secondly, they're to be looking to the pattern of Abraham, the father of the faithful. He's the one who uh, patiently endured and obtained the promise, and he's a a pattern in that regard, the life of Abraham. We know know the difficulties, the long wait that Abraham had, and we're not to uh, think that the, the ordinary life of the believer will be different from that or entirely different from that if we ourselves are called to uh, patient endurance well it's only going in the same way as Abraham they are to look to the pattern of Abraham but also they are to remember that their hope is in Christ we have a strong consolation who fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us to remember that their hope is in Christ. Their hope is in heaven, within the veil. And it's when they think about that, when they think about the heavenly world and the realities of that heavenly world and the blessedness of it, that their souls are stirred to duty, to diligence. They're stirred out of their slothfulness. Well, these three things. Firstly then, that Christians are in danger of slothfulness, that ye be not slothful. These words are not uh, unnecessary. These warnings, we are in danger. If if you are a Christian, we're not assuming by any means that that is the case. We have to, Paul is um, warning us here uh, of the danger and the need need we have continually for examining are standing before God, but uh, if you are, well, then the, you still have a, a, a danger of going back. Well, let's, let us say, if you appear to be, also a, a danger of going back and going back all the way, going back all the way to perdition. Paul says, we're not of them that draw back to perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Well, look at the three great uh, enemies of, of uh, fervor in the Christian and the Christian service. Are they the ones that we uh, speak of, the world and the devil and the flesh. They oppose the three opponents that the Christian has to encounter. And the world, as we know, opposes fervent Christianity. Would prefer that people are not Christians at all. But if, if they are Christians, then it insists that they hide their uh, religion, that they do not speak about it or show it. We live in a country and in a culture where that is very much the case, and 
where there's a opposition, an increasing opposition to open declarations of the Christian religion. And the attitude that the world takes, certainly in, in the West at the moment, is that it's a very much a, a reproach to be a Christian. It's the same in, 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 in other respects, in other parts of the world, the same in Israel, the same in the Middle East under Islam, the same under communism. It's a reproach and it's a shame in their eyes to be a Christian. And if you are, then the best thing you can do is to, to hide the fact, conceal it, and keep it, keep it as secret as possible. But how contrary this is to the mind of Christ. When Christ has brought his people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, when he's lit, as it were, a light in their souls, then it's not his intention that they should hide that light under a bushel, but having lighted that candle, that it should be set on a candlestick and should give light to the world. So there's a, a, a conflict between the mind of Christ in the matter and the mind of the world. And the world, in one way, is all, it's all around us. In one way, it's more immediate. The uh, things of Christ now, he's, he is at the right hand of God. He will not uh, be seen again until he, come, he returns at the day of judgment. And uh, it's the, the world that is immediately before us and that is continually pressing its opinions upon us, or it's, it's a judgment upon us. And the world is demanding that we, uh, not only are silent, but in, in some cases that even we would endorse its judgment or appear to do so. Uh, these campaigns that we have, that, uh, I'm trying to persuade people to acknowledge sin and uh, endorse sin and say that sin is not sinful that sort of thing as the Christians have been facing that sort of thing all along from the beginning in the Roman Empire as well the idolatry and the false gods and uh, if Christians would stand against those things then they must endure very often terrible persecution and that's the nature of it that the, the, the world threatens the Christian that if you will not conform, if you will not conform, then you will very likely suffer for it. In Christ's time, the, the Jews said that if any professed him, they would be put out of the synagogue. And the man born blind, whom Christ healed, uh, suffered that. They put him out because he professed Christ. And he professed, he professed Christ on the best evidence possible that he was, hadn't been known from the uh, foundation of the world that a man born blind should receive his sight. And one thing he knew, that whereas he was blind, now he could see. And it was Jesus Christ, it was Jesus of Nazareth who brought that to pass, and therefore God must be with him. And how could he not then profess Christ? But he was put out of the synagogue for it. And uh, as the world began in that time, so it has continued ever since, and the, the apostles and the Acts of the Apostles, they were forbidden to preach and to teach in the name of Jesus. They were re required to be silent in the matter. Well, we have something similar in 
in uh, Britain at the moment, increasingly so. I talk about uh, forbidding people to pray for others in certain situations, forbidding people, even their own parents, to warn others or counsel others in certain situations. Gross intrusions, of course, Satan is behind all these things because he's seeing, he's seeing ways on the one hand of uh, confer or drawing people further and further into sin and hardening them in sin, and on the other hand of ways of uh, entangling and persecuting the Christian church. So Satan promotes these things with all his strength. But uh, the, the Christian is not to be put, put, put off by these matters. The world, the world is dragging, it, dragging him down or try, trying to drag him down, trying to silence him. But uh, well, Paul, when he was before Felix and he preached of righteousness and uh, temperance and judgment to come, and uh, Felix didn't want to hear. And Felix there stands for the world again. He trembled Showed, that showed that the, the word of God was not without some effect on his soul. He trembled. He had a conscience. He knew that he was in the wrong in the matter. He very much suspected, if we may put it like that, that the apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ were in the right, but he didn't wish to bring, it, bring the matter to the, to, to the conclusion at that time. Go thy way till I have a, a convenient season. Some excuse or other will suffice for silencing the Christian. So this is one quarter of opposition. The, the world, it's easier, it's easier for the Christian to be slothful than fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. But then Satan, he's, he's uh, confirming and he's stirring up the world in its opposition. And, uh, we, have this, we have that spiritual wickedness in high places that Paul speaks of, that though the people promoting evil laws and uh, get out on the streets, well, they are flesh and blood. But as Paul says, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. These people, in, in a great measure, are the, uh, the, the dupes of the, the spiritual beings of uh, the God of this world has blinded their minds, has persuaded them of these errors, and they, they are being influenced and led, drawn by Satan, led captive by the devil at his will. And therefore the Christian has to uh, remember that this is a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare in which he's engaged, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And therefore that weapon in particular of uh, prayer, praying for the Lord to work, praying for the Lord to frustrate his enemies. Uh, that weapon is particularly to be used. For Satan is trying to uh, stir up the, uh, the opposition of the world and he spreads his lies very crudely. In some ways, one of the 
lies that we have is where everyone must be free to live as he pleases. And yet we see that that's not accurately expressed because that everyone who's to be free to live as he pleases excludes Christians. As it were, everyone is to live as he pleases and therefore Christians must be quiet because that spoils everybody from living as they please. And so Christians are automatically excluded. The truth is automatically excluded by Satan. Well, he gives, he, he uh, sh- shows what uh, manner of being is of these things. An enemy, a liar, the, the, the father of lies. So he stirs up the world to oppose the fervor of the Christian, and at the same time he tries to uh, stir up fear of the world, the fear of man, the fear of man which bringeth a snare. And he tries to make the, the world look very large and strong and dark and powerful and frowning in the eyes of the Christian to deter him, to discourage him, so that he doesn't dare to bear witness to Christ. We have the world and we have the Satan and then we have the flesh and that too is uh, holding the Christian back. Uh, We have an example of it in uh, the words of Peter in trying to discourage Christ be this far from thee when Christ spoke of his death upon the cross and that's the, the flesh in a way speaking there, Satan using the flesh to to speak spare spare yourself do not go do not uh, go on with this work he is beside himself Paul says if we if we are beside ourselves it is for the Lord's sake we see we seem to be beside ourselves much learning said uh, that one has made thee mad he seemed a a madman I'm not mad most noble Estus, he wasn't a madman. He was, he was one, it was a knowing the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, it wasn't madness. It was sober reason, sober judgment that made Paul as he was. We beside, if we be beside ourselves, it is for your sake. But the flesh is saying, saying uh, to, to take it easy, seek ease and comfort and rest and safety, the praise of men. These are the things that the flesh is uh, desirous of, the easy way, the easy way. And that's, what, that's the, the natural way of the soul. As Christ says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's easy. That's the easy one to get through, a broad way, an easy path, but it goes to destruction. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. So there are all these reasons why the Christian finds uh, all these forces that dampen the fervor of the Christian, but Christ's commandment goes the other way. Their light is to shine before men. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And the reason why they're to do that is because of the excellency of the things that they have found. They have found a great treasure. 
something exceedingly precious. They found the way of salvation. We have found the Messiah. We have found the one who's been spoken of from the foundation of the world. We found him. And in, in him we found salvation. In, in, in him we found that which takes away sin. In him we have found peace of conscience, peace for our souls. In him we have found reconciliation with God, that he might bring us to God. He is the, he is the way to the Father. We may, we may come now into the presence of God. Our sins may be taken away. We may abide before God. We may commune with God. We have a portion. We have promises. We have the presence of Christ. We have the Spirit of Christ. We have the understanding of the Word of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When the Holy Spirit is working in the soul, he enables the, that soul to understand the scriptures he opens the understanding that the word of god becomes a living word to them and the things spoken of become uh, powerful faith is that substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen that those things that are unseen are then uh, clearly before their minds they see clearly in particular both heaven and hell the day of judgment they, they see that, they fear that, they tremble, they flee from the wrath which is to come. They warn others, they desire others to flee also, their families in particular. They desire the salvation of those around them. And they see the blessedness of heaven and they count, they count that uh, better than anything they can have in the world. They, they think about the things of the world, the good things of the world and they acknowledge their goodness this world was very good when god made it and it retains much of its goodness even now but it's only an out an outward thing that cannot satisfy an immortal soul but they find in heaven and they find in in christ who is the lord of glory they find in him that which does satisfy the soul which fully satisfies the soul can they, how can they uh, keep silent about these things? How can they be unmoved and unaffected? It's said in the Islamic countries, or was said, I don't know, but it's still the case, <coughs> that the, uh, Christ, the Christians often, uh, as it were, gives himself away by his uh, cheerfulness. He's, he's, he's found some good thing. And uh, it's a, the very ex- expression of the face is changed and perhaps there's something something of that in our own country as well because we know that irreligion does not make people happy the laughter of fools is as the crackling of thorns under a pot they have their laughter they have their drunkenness but the end of it all is uh, misery and bitterness but the christian has peace in his soul we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ so Christ requires this of his people. He has done much for them. He has done all for them. He's given his life for them. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. <coughs> He's, he has rescued them, taken them from the fearful pit and from the miry clay. And now his requirement for them 
is that they should profess him before men, that they should bear witness to him. So they are not to be slothful, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Well, coming on then to the, uh, the, the, the first of these things that Paul points them to, the followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises, so they are to look to the pattern of Abraham. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. So they, they have a, a faith. They follow as those who through faith and patience. Christ has given them faith, and that faith is in the, uh, in the word of God. We can think of the faith of the believer in different ways, but one way we can think of it, it is a faith in the word of God. He believes those things that are written. He resolves to rest his soul upon the promises, in particular, warnings as well, but the promises that he finds in the word of God in the Bible. So we can think of faith in that way. We can think of faith as being in the Son of God. They believe in Christ. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They, they give, give themselves to him. They believe that he's the Messiah. They believe that he's uh, given by God, that they are, not, uh, taking, they are not taking something to which they are not entitled in taking Christ because God has given his Son to the children of men, unto us a child... Uh, a child is born, and unto us a son is given. My Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And receiving Christ, they are receiving that which God has set before them. So they may, we may think of faith in that way as a trusting in Christ. And we may think of faith in particular also as a trusting in the death of Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified. They may, you know, you know Way narrow it down to that, because that's the the, the the heart of it all, or the beginning of it all. It's the taking away of sin, the remission of sin, repentance, faith, and repent, belief, uh, faith, faith toward God, and repentance toward our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel, the sin. There, repent of your sins. That's what brought the separation from God in the first place. And that which reconciles to God is the, the death of his son, the crucifying of Christ upon the cross. And they believe that. They believe that that death of Christ does reconcile. They make that theirs. They lay hold of the covenant. They lay hold of the salvation, the eternal life that there is in him and that was the same faith that Abraham had. The faith in the word of God and the faith in the one who was to come. He saw Christ's day. Abraham saw Christ's day and he uh, rejoiced. He could see this one who was to come. In, the, in thy siege shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He, he believed that there was one to come. The seed of the woman 
who is going to bruise the head of the serpent. So people now, and these Jews to whom Paul was writing, their faith, well, they had New Testament faith. Abraham had Old Testament faith, but it was the same faith. It's resting upon essentially the same things. And it's wrought by the same spirit in the heart. The same faith as Abraham, like precious faith. Abraham is the father of the faithful. And therefore he is the pattern. And therefore he's one to be followed. Followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And if we look at Abraham, well he, he, he shows us what we get in many other places in Scripture, that the Christian life is one that requires endurance. So after he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And the Christian life is described in various ways. One way that it's described is a race. Let us run our race with patience, looking unto Jesus. We all know that a race, there are very short races that, they don't require much endurance, but most races uh, do require that. And they, uh, one can, as it were, start off too fast and uh, not keep up the pace and uh, such a drop out. They don't, they don't conclude the race. But the Christian then has to endure in this matter. Let us run our race with patience, looking to him, the life of the believer. It's going to require endurance. Another way that the Christian life is described is, is as a journey, going up to Zion, setting out. We have that Bunyan made great use of that in his Pilgrim's Progress, setting out on a journey. And we know that a, a, a journey, again, requires endurance. And many a person has set out on a journey and not reached the end, come short. I'm short in the matter. Well, the believer then is on a, on a journey, and the journey uh, has variety. Sometimes some parts of the journey are easy and pleasant, it may be. Other, other parts, very difficult. You sail out to Africa, as far as I know, you've got to go through the, the, the Bay of Biscay. That's often a, a, a dangerous bit, a difficult bit, or it used to be. And uh, that was... Part of the journey, well, the Christian has that sort of ex experience as well. There are parts of his journey that are going to be uh, require endurance. You have to carry on against hope, believing in hope. There's uh, those words of Thomas Boston, over the belly of felt sense. Sense is saying that this is, this is you're, not going to, you're not going to get there, but Faith is saying, I am, I will persevere. So the Christian life is a race, it's a journey, it's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold upon eternal life. It's a, a wrestling. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against these principalities and powers. Well, we know that wrestling is something that requires endurance, and it's a formidable enemy against which the Christian is wrestling. Satan himself and his angels, and they have great strength. And the Christian doesn't have great strength in himself, but he has to wait upon the Lord to renew his strength and to carry on and not be weary. 
in this matter. Satan returns again and again. Christ had to wrestle against him. The devil departed from him for a season. But soon he's back again, maybe in another guise. But he's back again. And he'll be back again to every Christian to try and bring him down, try and hinder him in his way to heaven. And then another way it's described rather similar is it's a war. It's a warfare. The weapons of our warfare. And we know that a war is something that may go on for a very long time. And in a war, there are battles that you win and there are battles that you, you lose, as it were. And so it is with a Christian. Sometimes, alas, he loses. He falls. The righteous man falleth seven times, but he riseth again. And uh, Satan, uh, in a measure, prevails against him for the time being. David was overthrown in his sins, but he, he had one who was able to help him up and restore him. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. My soul he doth restore again. Well, it's a war that requires endurance. And another way it's described is as a, a, a day's work, toiling away the whole day, the heat and the burden of the day until, until the end, the night cometh when no man can work. But as long as the, as long as the day lasts, the sun, the sun may be going down. But if, you, if you're still here, as it were, then you, you've got work to do. Christ is requiring that carry on with her. Where be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's still work to be done until your day is at an end. So God, in this way, is testing the faith of his people. The purpose of it is to test and to strengthen their faith, whether it is a a true faith. There's that that faith which appears to be faith but fails, which is overcome by the the riches of the world or the cares of the world or the persecution of the world. Whatever it may be, it succumbs. It never, it never was uh, well rooted. It never was rooted in Christ, and eventually it's brought to nothing. And it's over a lot, over a, a, a period of time that the faith of the believer is tried. And it's in these circumstances that the of a trial and weariness and delay and discouragement that the believer has to remember, remind himself, that others have gone the same way before, that Abraham went the same way, that he had to maintain his hope. And we're told here what the ground of his hope was. It was the, the promise of God. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, blessing, say, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So where was the source of Abraham's strength? It was in God God himself. That's what Paul traces it back to. Abraham is given two things. He's given the oath of God, but that oath oath depends on God himself. Surely, surely, blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply. There's the promise, but there is also then the oath that is founded in the being of God. 
We, we swear, as it were, by uh, men swear by the greater. Verse 16, uh, an oath to them is an, an end of all strife. And God therefore swore, as it were, by the greater. That is, can only be by himself, because there's none greater. He, he could swear by no greater, therefore he swore by himself. So Abraham had these two immutable things. He had the promise of God, but he had also the oath of God grounded in the being of God, in the, the truth of God, the God of truth. It is impossible for God to lie. The God of truth. And so if God has spoken, if we have the word of God, if he has spoken, and God had spoken to Abraham concerning the promised seed, then that must come to pass. It's impossible for God to lie. And the other thing there, apart from the truth of God, is the power of God. God is able to perform his word. He's the almighty God. I, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So this was the, the, uh, the source of consolation for Abraham. It was in God himself. Though he had a long wait, yet he could find rest for his soul. He couldn't find rest for his soul anywhere else. Everywhere else he looked under heaven, there was sorrow. When he thought about himself, there was nothing to encourage him there. When he thought about his wife, when he thought about the world, when he thought about this Eliezer of Damascus, who was his heir, there was nothing, nothing in any direction. It was only when he turned his heart heaven when he thought about God, the truth of God, the power of God. And then he could find rest and strength to continue to endure. After he'd patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Well, a Christian will have to endure in the, in the same way, the same, the same life that you're called to live. Abraham could have gone back again uh, to that country from which he'd come out. God had called him out and sent him into this land to live apart from the people and uh, to live in the, the worship of God, building an altar to the Lord, calling him on the name of the Lord. He could have gone back to the idols of his, of his fathers, but he didn't. He endured. And the Christian, likewise, has been called out, called out of the mass of the world into the uh, fellowship with Christ and he's to continue in separation from the world and he may see many uh, reasons for discouragement both in the world around him and perhaps in his own soul and he, see, there's, he can see as it were uh, maybe tempted in some way like those to, to go back to Egypt to return, to give up the Christian profession, but he patiently endures. He looks heavenward, and he sees that there is, a, there is a God in heaven, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, and he will perform his outward promises as well. He will, he will perform those outward promises for the sake of Christ. He's promised these things to Christ. And Christ has died and is risen again. The promises are yea and amen in him. So the Christian 
endures. So that's the second thing, to be looking to the pattern of Abraham. But the third thing is to be looking to, the, uh, to Christ, to the hope that, they, that is in Christ, the Christ the hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That by two immutable things, verse 18, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And here we, in a way, go higher because the promises to Abraham were of the things of this world. Immediately, there was the promised seed. He was going to have a child and there was the promised land. But here we are directed uh, to that which is within the veil. It's not, there, there are the things of this world, but there are the, the things also of the world to come. And they, well, the, the things of this world are not, not to be despised. And the, the, the psalm that we're singing, Psalm 27, we got it at the end there. I, I had fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's a part of the Christian faith, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because God is, he is Lord of heaven and earth. And he is going to show his goodness in this part of his domain as well, in this part of his kingdom, in the land of the living. But it's especially in the eternal world that the Christian has his treasure, treasure in heaven laid up for him in heaven. Christ has gone before. The, the, the forerunner is gone before. And Christ says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he will come again and he will take them to himself. And that's where that's their ultimate hope, to be with Christ, to be in this place of blessedness which Christ is preparing, which God is preparing. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And we know with the things of this world, we know that they had the, the, the limitations of them, that they will, will never, however good they are, they never satisfy. But we know that these things of the eternal world can do the... the, uh, they, the there's a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory to be obtained in heaven. And that then is where the hope of the believer is. The forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, which it, it, within the veil, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's gone before. He's the forerunner. He's now entered into that holy place, into the presence of God himself. He's in the closest communion with God, the Son of Man, set down at the right hand of God. This is the uh, anchor of soul for the Christian. He's within the veil. And we know that when, when uh, we think of the right hand, uh, the, one, the one who is the, the right hand is always there to speak. We were saying this morning, to speak on behalf if we were continually in the presence of another, then we're always there to uh, bring, bring, bring matters to him, to free, free to do that. And this is the anchor of soul for the, the Christian, that 
Christ is there, Christ is within the veil, Christ, as we were saying, can answer every, every accusation, Christ can secure every blessing. He is there. And yet the, uh, this idea of an anchor implies a connection. There's a, a connection between the anchor and the, the, the vessel that requires this anchor, the soul here, as it were, that requires the anchor. And so there's a connection between the believer in Christ. He is the anchor of the soul, and therefore that soul is joined in some way to that anchor. Every other anchor is going to fail. Other men have their anchors, as it were, that they, uh, they re- rely upon, whether it's their money, whether it's their health, whether it's some, some innate strength that they have, whether it's their religion, their popularity, they rely on that. Some people anchor themselves, as it were, in unbelief, in a denial of the judgment of God. But all these anchors will fail at death. They will be tested then. When we uh, appear before, when we meet our God, prepare to meet my God, and that day will test the anchor, whether it is grounded or not. Many an anchor, every anchor, I suppose, will drag in that day. But here we have one that will not, the anchor of the soul, which is within the veil, beyond movement. So within the the veil means it's with uh, this mighty God, the immutability of God, the immutability of his counsel. Two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. That's where this anchor that the Christian has is. It's in the presence of the infinite God himself, Jehovah. I am that I am. And I suppose the picture, Paul doesn't exactly bring it out. I suppose the picture is, as it were, of a, in a, in a sense, a win- the believer being winched in. But the anchor isn't going to move. It's within the veil. And the, the bond between the soul and the anchor is not going to break either. In fact, it's nothing less than the infinite spirit of God, the almighty spirit of God. He's the one that uh, is in the hearts of the people of God, or we can say it's the hand of Christ. No man is able to pluck them out of my hands. That's not going to break. And so they, they and their anchor must be brought together. And the forerunner, he's entered within the veil, and in due time they will be brought within the veil as well. Everyone else will fail, but they, their anchor will not fail. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. So this is the hope of the Christian. Christ has gone before, and uh, he will take them unto himself, that where he is, there they may be also. So we have to see the danger, the danger of slothfulness in Christian matters. Look at your own soul at this time. It may be you've not even started in this. It may be you're putting off uh, to a convenient season, like Felix, putting off the, the day of religion to a convenient season. You never, you've never even started. But if you have started, well, then you'll be familiar with these difficulties that you encounter in the way, the world and the flesh and the devil. And you need to stir yourself. 
And the two things set before you here are Abraham and Christ. The pattern of Abraham. Run your race with patience. Abraham had to endure. You will have to endure to continue. Lift up the hands that hang down. Confirm the feeble knees. And where does the strength for that come from? Well, it comes from Christ within the veil, able to secure blessings for you. And certain, we would say, to secure blessings for you. He will not leave you. He will not fail you. He will not forget you. You're on his heart. You're engraven on his hands, graven on the breastplate of his heart. And he, his, his prayer for you, if you're a true believer, that the Father I will, that they also whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray, pray that thy word might be profitable to us, these things written long ago by thine apostle, by, by the Spirit of Jesus. And uh, grant that they might be brought home to our own souls by that same Spirit now, that we might understand the, uh, the things that concern our peace and the nature of the Christian life, we might be learning to run that race that Christ has appointed running it with patience, looking unto him, and remembering those that have gone before in the race, and Abraham in particular, <coughs> remembering the great faith of that man and that much trouble that he endured, and therefore not being dismayed at the troubles that come upon us in providence. Help us then to be up and doing. Bless us in whatever duties lie ahead this week. May we know what it is to be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might. We pray for that thou add thy blessing to the preaching of the word this day, the building up thy kingdom, and wash away our sins in holy things. For Jesus' sake. Amen.